Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. So we've all been there asking God to show up in our lives. God, where are you? God, I need you. Maybe in some big way, maybe just in some small way. In the first century, God's people found themselves doing just that, waiting for God to show up. See, for hundreds of years, they've been waiting. The Old Testament promises that there is someone coming, a Messiah, a Savior, who will come and rescue God's people. And so they're waiting for that day. They know their scriptures. They've read their scriptures from the time that they were children. They'd read the more than 300 references in the Old Testament to the fact that a day was coming when the Messiah would be here and that person would make everything right. That person would rescue God's people and set them free. It was supposed to be this incredible day and they waited for it. The Bible describes it this way in Isaiah. It says that when that day happens, the Messiah will come with good news for the poor. The Messiah would come with freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, and to comfort those who mourn. God says in Jeremiah, he says, in those days, he says, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king, and this king will reign wisely. This king will do things that are good and right and just. And in his reign, Judah and Israel, God's people, will be saved and they will live in safety. And so for the first century Jewish people, this is what they were waiting for, a king, a ruler, this savior. They imagined somebody maybe like King David or King Solomon who would lead like a general who would take them into battle to set things right, to bring peace to the nations. They waited for this day. But sadly, when God showed up, most people missed him. If you got a Bible with you, we're in Luke chapter one today. Get your Bible out, turn it on, Luke chapter one. And we're jumping into a new sermon series and we're jumping into the New Testament, which is the story of this long-awaited Messiah who the Old Testament promised was coming. This is the story of the anointed one, the Savior, and it's someone named Jesus of Nazareth. And we're going to, over the next number of weeks, look at the life of of Jesus. And today what I want to focus on is if Jesus is the Messiah, if the Messiah has come and this is the one that they waited for for so long, if this is him, I want us to ask, how did they miss him? And then I want to bring the conversation forward 2,000 years and ask, are there ways that we miss Jesus working in our lives? Maybe for some of the same reasons people missed Jesus 2,000 years ago. Are there ways where we want God to show up, we ask him to show up in our lives to help us, and he does, are there ways that we miss him and we don't see Jesus moving in our lives? So we're going to jump right into it in Luke, and I think if you're someone who's waiting to see God move in your life, I think today is going to be really encouraging and helpful for you. So Luke chapter one, we're going to look at the Christmas story, public service announcement, 105 days till Christmas. Are you ready? That was helpful, wasn't it? Here we go. Here's the story of the Messiah prophesied from old who would come into the world. Luke records it. Here's how it happens. Luke one, verse 26. In the sixth month, 
of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. As we walk through this today, I want you to notice all the unexpected ways this story plays out. And it starts right here. See, Jerusalem is the hub of Israel. Jerusalem is the place all the important things happen. If God is going to announce the Messiah, it's going to be in Jerusalem. Except we read here about this town called Nazareth. The things are starting to play out there. Nazareth is not the metropolis that Jerusalem is. Nazareth is probably a couple hundred people, and they're mostly farmers, blue-collar workers, maybe 100 miles or so from Jerusalem. It's a pretty insignificant place. And yet this is where God sends the angel to announce the birth of the Messiah. And not just to Nazareth, but to this young girl who lives in Nazareth who is seemingly pretty insignificant in culture. Verse 29 says that when the angel showed up, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end. Luke is using very messianic language. He's using language that lines up with Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah who was coming, that he is someone from David's line, someone, would, someone whose throne would be established and he would reign forever. Luke is being very specific to use language that signifies this is the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. Mary responds in verse 34 and she says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary responds and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So more unexpected. We meet this character, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is related to Mary. She is much older than Mary. She is at least in her 60s, based on the language here. A lot of history books say that she was 88 years old. And now she's going to have a baby. This woman who was known, who it's documented that she's unable to have children, she's now well past the age that you would expect that. And she's going to have a child. And Mary who the Bible says is a virgin, engaged to be married, is also going to have a child. You can see that God is doing something here. It's really unexpected, but something unique, something special is happening. He's starting to write a story that, frankly, you and I couldn't write. It's supernatural in nature, and it's taking these sort of unexpected turns. Jump ahead to the next chapter, chapter two, and God continues to write this story here in the birth of the Messiah. It says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Rome ruled most of the world, including they ruled over Israel. Verse three says, everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. More, more unexpected, right? When the Messiah comes, there's going to be fanfare. This is going to happen in the palace, right? Except no, we read that the Messiah is born and he's laid in a feeding trough. It says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, like Mary, were terrified. But also like Mary, the angel speaks and says, do not be afraid. Now listen to this. The angel says, I bring you good news. You remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah said when the Messiah comes, it's going to be what? It's going to be good news. Luke is linking these things together to again say, this is the Messiah. I bring you good news, the angel says, that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So again, unexpected. When God makes this proclamation, it's got to come from a prophet, right? It's got to come from a priest. It's got to come from the temple. No, he goes to these sweaty, smelly shepherds working out in the field. Verse 16 says that they, the shepherds hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, deep breath. I know I gave you a lot there. But this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment the Old Testament points to. For the last nine months, as a church family, we're going through the Bible together this year, right? For the last nine months, we've been in the Old Testament. And everything that we've studied and everything that we've looked at is pointing towards this moment. Everything the Old Testament is building on is that this moment is going to happen, that the Messiah, God is going to deliver on his promise. He's going to send someone to rescue his people. This is what we've been waiting for. And for the Jewish people, this is the day they'd been waiting for. For centuries, this is the moment when God would send the Messiah. And the claim of the New Testament is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that he will take on the burden of God's people and he will restore God's people into a right relationship with God. The other part of the story of the New Testament is that most people missed it. They just couldn't see who he is. In fact, we're going to see this in, 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 in a few weeks. They missed it so badly, they kill him, right? They just can't see Jesus and believe that this is the Messiah because they imagined what this day would be like. They had built it up in their minds. They had studied it so much. They had a picture of this is what it's going to look like and this is who he has to be. And when that's not who he was, they couldn't believe this was the Messiah. 
And so I want to slow down for a few minutes and just talk about really how did they miss it? What, what's going on in their minds that causes them to miss who Jesus is? And frankly, how have people been missing who Jesus is for the last 2,000 years? How can you not look at this guy and go, this is the guy. He is the beginning and the end. He is all things. And then, like I said, I want to bring this forward because I think there's also a question here for us. I think even as Christ followers, thousands of years later, there's something here for us because how many times have you found yourself going, God, I need you to show up in my life. God, I need something. I need your help. I need you to make sense out of things. And then what happens? You don't see him. Well, I wonder, and we're going to explore this question. I wonder, is it possible that God is working? That Jesus is showing up in lots of ways and we're missing it? That we're not seeing him? Maybe for the same reasons that 2,000 years ago, people couldn't connect the dots and figure out that this is God showing up in their lives, in their world. Are we missing out on Jesus working in our lives right now? So let's talk about why people missed Jesus. Probably lots of reasons. Just there's three here in the text that I want to I wanna show you from this, this passage here. Why people miss Jesus. Number one is this, is that Jesus doesn't fit our expectations. There was, a, there was an understanding, there was a picture of what a king should look like, where he should be born, where he should go to school, the kind of people that he should hang out with. And the child of an unwed teenage girl from Nazareth doesn't fit the profile. He's supposed to be royalty. He's supposed to come from some honorable bloodline. He's supposed to be a general who can lead the troops, who can lead the nation to fight off the other nations and bring about peace. And what God gives us is a child, a baby who can't feed himself, who needs his diaper changed by mom and dad. You can see why it's a little disorienting. This is the Messiah, really? Born in a, a barn or a cave, whatever. He doesn't really meet the expectations of what a king should be. He doesn't fit into our sort of our box of what we would understand. And I think like at this point, we have to acknowledge that there are ways that for all of us, we bring to a conversation who we think God should be and how we think Jesus should act. We have our own expectations. When we call on God, we have our own expectations of this is what we think Jesus should do. This is how he should deliver. This is how he should show up. This is what it should look like. And oftentimes, I think we have to acknowledge, oftentimes our expectations of God are not rooted in scripture, but shaped by how we view the world, uh, our culture, maybe even our tradition. There's a, a guy, I was reading an article, there's a guy who is traveling around the world and when he goes to all these places, he likes to collect and bring home nativity scenes. You know the things we put on our mantle at Christmas, you know, and you got Mary and Joseph and the baby and a camel and some sheep, and they're kind of cute, right? He, he, he likes to go around the world and collect all of these. And he's found, what's really fascinating is he's found that each culture adapts the nativity scene, what they picture that moment to be like based on the life they live and their worldview. We used to have a, a, a really nice nativity scene. It was like porcelain. It was really fancy. Someone got it uh, for us, I think when we got married. And a few years ago, one day I was walking by, I was sitting on the, on the table at Christmas time and I bumped it and it fell over and I beheaded the baby Jesus. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bad day. Um, <laughs> 
but this guy is collecting these things from all over. And it's really cool how cultures have, have, have put their sort of picture on it. So, for example, the Algonquin tribe in Canada, in their nativity scene, Joseph is wearing moccasins, Mary is draped in a deer hide, and the baby is not in a feeding trough. Jesus is in a papoose. Kind of cool to me. Go to the other side of the world. The Maasai tribe in Africa, they don't have, in their nativity scene, they don't have a camel, and they don't have sheep. They have a zebra and a giraffe bowing down to the baby Jesus. I love that. Native Americans in their nativity scene, the three wise men are represented by three well-known chiefs of tribes. Each culture sort of put their imagination, their expectation on what that scene is, is like. And the point is, is that we bring our culture and we bring our expectations to things. And we go, this is who we think Jesus is. And that's what the people in the first century did. They had in their mind what Jesus, the King, the Messiah had to look like. So much so that they missed him. They missed Jesus. Is it possible for us that there's ways that we put expectations on Jesus in a manner that it causes us to miss how he's working in our lives? And let's be super clear. Jesus is exactly who the Old Testament said he would be. And Jesus does exactly what the Old Testament says that he will do. He just didn't do it in the way his contemporaries thought he should or thought he would. It looked a little bit different to them. And so they can't accept it. Is it possible for you and I that we do the same, that we put expectations on Jesus? We try and fit him into this sort of, this sort of box? And then we find ourselves going, God, where are you? God, when are you going to show up? God, why haven't you moved in my life yet? What if he has? And we missed it because it didn't match our expectations. Probably lots of ways this could play out. I don't, I don't know. Maybe how often do we ask God for things? God, I need a job. And when God delivers that job, we will praise him. We will go, thank, thank you, God. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for giving me that job that I needed. But let me ask you this. What about between now and then? If I ask God for a new job and down the road he delivers that, does that mean that between now and then he wasn't showing up in my life? Because it didn't look the way I thought it should look? Because the only outcome that I thought was the hand of God was when he gives me a job and provides for me. Really? So he's just not working in between. He's not showing up in ways in between. Or am I just not seeing him? I think we do this a lot. God, I'm lonely. I need a relationship. I want a spouse. God, save me from this temptation. And when God delivers, we'll praise him. Thank you, God, for what you've done. But what about between now and then? Is it that he's not working? Is it that God is not showing up? Or is that we're not seeing it because it doesn't match our expectations? If you think Jesus is going to fit in a box, if he's going to align with your expectations, stick around a few weeks because as we look at the life of Jesus, I mean, it changes directions. He does unexpected things at every turn because his ways are different than ours. Maybe there's something for us here to just go, God, are there ways that you're moving in my life? 
and I'm missing it because it doesn't fit my expectations because you're not doing it the way I think you should do it on the timeline that I think you should do it because I don't want to miss Jesus. Second reason that people miss Jesus is that only humble people recognize Jesus. The, the, the characters in this story, look at the, the people Luke describes. You have Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is disgraced in her culture. A, a, a woman who can't have children in this culture. That's a shaming thing. And she is well past the age where that's going to happen. And so she lives in disgrace. And everyone knows that she couldn't have children. And so she's ashamed of that. She's humbled by that. You've got Mary, this scared teenage girl. People would look at her and cast her aside. She's just a child. She's not an important part of this. And yet she's humble and she sees the hope of the Messiah. She sees God working in her life. The shepherds. The shepherds are among the lowliest of society. They're considered unclean. They can't go into Jerusalem and worship in the temple. Imagine being considered in your culture so unworthy, so unclean that you're not even allowed to go to church. You're not even allowed to worship God. You're just too filthy. And yet all these people, they see the goodness of God. They see the way that God is working. It's funny because if you flip over to Matthew's version of the story, there's a guy named Herod. He's the most powerful man in Israel at the time. He rules over the Jewish people. Does he recognize Jesus as the Messiah? No. He's arrogant. He tries to kill Jesus. Humble people recognize Jesus and see God moving. I think Psalm 10 explains this a little bit. It says that the wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. When we are prideful, we don't even go looking for God in our life. But when we're humble, we'll see God at work. These humble people recognize that Jesus is moving and Jesus is their hope. You think about Mary, who just goes, Lord, I'm your servant. She doesn't understand it. She's like, God, I, the thing you're calling me to, I haven't even done that thing that you have to do to have a baby. What are you talking about? I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what this is going to look like. But God, I'm humble and I trust you and I'm your servant. And the same is true with the shepherds. They're so excited about what God is doing. They're not cynical. They don't try and explain away what's just happened. They don't go, oh, this is going to sound weird. We shouldn't tell anybody. They run into town to celebrate, to rejoice that the Messiah has come. They're humble and they're humble enough to recognize Jesus in their lives, in their world. Okay, it's, it's not as they expected because Jesus, again, doesn't meet our expectations. He doesn't fit them. But they're humble enough to believe God is good, and so what he's doing is good, and I'll trust him. When you're humble, you see Jesus. In fact, maybe you see him so much that you can't not see him. And so I would ask you, if you don't see God moving in your life, are you humble? If you're frustrated with God, are you humble or are you arrogant? If you look at your life and you go, I can't see God doing anything. I can't see the goodness of Jesus. I can't even see his presence. I can't see his blessing. I can't see his love. I mean, I would just ask, are you humbly looking to say, God, show me where you're at work? Humble people 
recognize Jesus. And I know for me, as someone who struggles with humility, it's like I have to constantly ask, God, show me the touch of Jesus in my life because I want to take credit for everything. So show me the ways that Jesus is at work. Show me the ways that he's showing up that I am not seeing and I'm not giving him praise and credit for. Finally, the reason that people miss Jesus is because people think small, but Jesus thinks kingdom. So the first century Israelites missed Jesus because they wanted a king who would ease their material burden. They wanted someone who, frankly, would just lower their taxes and tell Rome to pound sand. They wanted somebody who would give them a good life. They wanted somebody who would sort of, you know, kind of bring peace and just, just overall goodness back to the nation. They really wanted a politician who had some power who was on their side. And because Jesus wasn't here to do those things, they didn't want him. And it's really sad because of what they miss out on. They miss out on the things that Jesus has to offer that are so much more than what they were asking for. Jesus doesn't just give peace with the nations. Jesus makes peace with God and gives us peace with ourselves. Jesus doesn't just simply provide protection and safety. He gives everlasting life. He doesn't just offer leadership. He offers salvation, but that's not what they wanted. They wanted someone to give them, ensure for them a good life. They wanted safety and power and respect. And honestly, if that's what you want out of Jesus, is a good life, whatever that means for you, financial security, comfort, health, perfect family. If that's what you want from Jesus, probably Jesus is not going to make you very happy. Not that he doesn't have those things to give. He does. But what he really cares about is his father's everlasting kingdom. That's why he tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. That if we will, with God's help, shift our focus and our heart off of ourselves onto God's kingdom and the things that he wants. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care about our material needs and our physical needs. In fact, it says, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and those things will be added to you. He cares about your physical needs. He wants to provide for you. He will provide for you. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God. We, 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 we look through our very narrow lens at things. And Jesus is trying to open up our eyes to see God's kingdom. And if we will focus on his kingdom, I think what happens is we see Jesus moving everywhere in our lives, the lives of people around us. In fact, you might see him so much that you can't stop seeing him. And so even as we say, God, this is a heart check for me, I know. Even as I say, God, I want to see you in my life. What am I really asking? Am I really just saying, God, give me the things I've asked for? God, secure my little kingdom? Or am I actually saying, God, I want you to move. I want your kingdom to advance. I want to be a part of it. I want to see it on the move. I want to see Jesus showing up in all kinds of ways, not just in my narrow scope of how I think things should be, but kingdom-wide. Let me see if I can pull this all together for us. Many of us, we ask this question, God, where are you? When are you going to show up? And I guess I just, I think about that, and I wonder if the answer is that God has shown up, and he's right with us in the middle of our mess, and maybe we're missing it because it doesn't look the way we think it should look. Life's not going the way we would have drawn it up. 
on our timeline, with our expectations. We've, we call on God to give us things, uh, a new job, a new relationship, more money, uh, well-behaved kids, and we go, it's not working, so God's not showing up. What if he is showing up by walking with us? What if he has shown up? He's gone before us. And he's not trying to confuse us or hide from us in any way. But what starts to emerge when we realize that, he's, that he has shown up, what starts to emerge is actually God himself. And we find out that the things that we think we want are not all they're cracked up to be. And actually the longings of our heart are just Jesus. And these people so badly wanted the Messiah to come to save them to rescue them, to give them the things they wanted that they missed. Emmanuel, God with us. I don't want to miss Jesus. Like I said, over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at the unexpected life of Jesus who comes to live and die so that we could have eternal life. And I hope you'll hang out with us, but maybe just for today, it's, maybe it's just this. Maybe it's asking God, show us, God, open our eyes and show us ways that Jesus is moving in our life. God, if that means humbling us, if that means changing our focus to a kingdom mindset and perspective, God, take our eyes off of ourselves, open us up that we would see Jesus who's on the move. I'm going to pray, um, but stick with me because right after that, I want to show you a video of a really exciting update. Would you pray with me? God, we do ask that you would open our eyes. We know that you're moving because you promise it in your word. You say that you're working out all things for the good of those who love you. You're not distant. You're not distracted. You're not disengaged. You're here. You've shown up. Open our eyes, God, that we would see it. Humble us. Help us to not be cynical. Help us to believe that you really are the God who is capable of more than we could ask or imagine. And God, over these next number of weeks, as we look at the life of Jesus, would you open our eyes? As Some of these stories are, are things we've heard so many times, like the Christmas story. We can just go, yeah, 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 I've heard it. God, would you open our eyes to see how Jesus was moving then into the world and how Jesus is moving into our lives today? God, there are people here in our church family that are suffering, that are going through difficult times, that are experiencing hardship. Would you show them that even right now, you're showing up, you're working, your presence is not on the other side of healing and redemption and restoration, but it's here now. Jesus, you're here with us. You're present and you go with us. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So back in June on Vision Sunday, we told you that we had some big things coming up. Uh, related to our kingdom movement projects. And so we want to give you an update on just one of those things. Check out this video. Howdy, Faith Church. I am joined here today with my friend Chris Zhang, who has been a counselor here in the Lehigh Valley for 30 years. He runs a private practice, Zhang Associates, and has worked with people, lots of people, for lots of years. 
in therapy and in the world of mental health and care. And so, Chris, what are you seeing when you look across the landscape in the valley of where people need in the arena of counseling? Yeah. Well, we reflect really what's going on across the whole country, Joe, in the sense that there are more people than ever seeking therapy. Um, there aren't enough therapists to go around. Um, and even before COVID, but now, especially since COVID occurred, um, for the first time in a lot of years, uh, depression is the most diagnosed issue anxiety is. Okay. And so we live in this culture of anxiety. There's a lot of issues and a lot of reasons for that, but we've just seen that grow and grow. And so the Valley, like the rest of the country, um, there's just not enough therapists to go around uh, for the, the needs that present themselves right now. And do people find themselves like, if you wanted to find a counselor, what is that like? Yeah. Uh, we hear it every week and it's 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 really sad but you know we've called so many people and we're on you know and uh, we're on so many waiting lists and you know I know I'm going to be on your waiting list but when's the earliest you can see me and so we've been telling people for months that we don't really even keep a waiting list right now because it's so long and we're not alone in that that's really a lot of folks uh, uh, in the valley that are in that place and so they're calling and they're calling and they're calling or they're widening up so that they're maybe having to drive to Philadelphia or up to East Stroudsburg or something yeah. just to find somebody who can see them. Wow. Yeah. And this, this is part of why we're bringing Chris in front of you today, church family, is because we have had this vision as a family to move the kingdom forward by providing a counseling center that's offsite to serve the needs of the people in the Lehigh Valley. And I just have such exciting news that I'm so happy to share with you that Chris has joined our team as a director of counseling here at Faith Church and is gonna help us launch a counseling center to serve the valley. Yeah. Exactly. Can you believe this? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, we've known each other for a lot of years. Yeah. And that God would see fit to bring us together with your experience, your expertise, all that you know of people in the valley, your desire to raise up more counselors and serve community, that you would join and help us launch a counseling center to me is a gift from God. Thank you. What is this going to look like? What is it going to mean? Well, thank you. Uh, like you said, I'm excited because uh, it's a, a great way to continue to invest in counselors. I do a lot of training and I do a lot of supervision. And I hope that this gives me an opportunity to really influence uh, other therapists and younger therapists to be able to carry on in really positive ways that are going to help people and uh, with our faith background, glorify God in the process. Yeah, that'll really be fun for sure. What can people expect? I mean, we're at the sort of beginning stages with a lot of vision behind this. Obviously, you have a lot of expertise, but vision, expertise, what can people expect going forward with Faith Church's Counseling Center and how what's gonna happen next? Yeah, well, I think it's gonna be pretty quiet for a while because there's this um, real need to build a strong foundation and uh, that's gonna take time and effort to really get it set up as, as we've talked this isn't something that um, we want to occur for five or ten years we want it to go beyond us and I'm excited about that and so to go and build something that goes beyond is going to take a lot of uh, work down in the weeds um, in creating something that will be able to continue to grow and thrive here in the valley I mean, what you can expect Faith Church 
is excellence in loving people and helping people find and follow Jesus. We're gonna try to remove barriers of people that maybe have sort of ideas of mental health or concerns. We can eliminate those things and provide an excellent place for people to be cared for. While this is maybe a little bit out still, we're not there yet, we're gonna be there soon. Thank you for partnering with us as we try to help people find and follow Jesus. Watch out for a counseling center near you.